Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developer's podcast in chilly, rainy downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. The panelists today are William Jeffries, David Anderson. Today we'll be speaking about editors. The majority of developers' time is spent in front of a computer, probably typing in a text editor. We'll be discussing different panelists' opinions and ideas on the text editors they use on a day-to-day basis. One of our panelists today is very uh, fluent in Emacs. I have no idea how to Emacs at all. So I would love to ask Dave, how do you Emacs and what brought you into the Emacs world? So I actually came into the Emacs world by the way of Vim because I always really liked using Vim and uh, like the power that the shortcuts gave, mm-hmm. but I really wasn't in love with the customization aspect mm. of it. It always seemed kind of a little bit clunky to me. And so I would kind of tend towards a little more streamlined solutions like Sublime or in the past used uh, Eclipse as well. But I was uh, actually introduced to Emacs by a fellow person who went to the Recurse Center because he was a core contributor on that. You know, I was really impressed with the kind of functionality that you could very easily add to Emacs, especially with a package like SpaceMax, where it's basically like a very sane set of defaults and packages that you can very easily set up within 15 minutes. Nice. It's very interesting to hear that someone was introduced to Emacs through Vim. Oftentimes I hear a lot of developers choose one side. You're either a Vim user or you're an Emacs user and that's it. Yeah. SpaceMax kind of takes a middle of the road approach because there are Vim packages, particularly a package called Evil, which stands for Emacs Vim layer, I think. Mm. And basically that lets you use Vim key bindings in Emacs. The thing that I really like about SpaceMax is, well, I mean, I guess it's like not really SpaceMax itself, but some of the packages that it brings together in the glue that is SpaceMax, but the uh, leader key that it uses for any of the more advanced functionality. So the space in SpaceMax is the leader key and you press that and then that'll let you have access to most of the functionality in SpaceMax. Um, so if I want to save a file, I press space and then F and then S. And it takes a little bit of time to get oriented about where all of these different features are in that tree of different options. But it's really quite natural to do that rather than the traditional Emacs way of having to press Alt or Control before doing any of those shortcuts. Yeah, but it is kind of intimidating to like jump in. It took me maybe like, a month to figure out all of the mm. things. Whereas, you know, something like sublime texts, you can very easily get started right away and not really have too much delay in learning how things are working. Interesting. I definitely have to try Emacs. I've always been afraid since I was introduced by using Vim. Pretty much like when dealing with the servers, there is no GUI, it's just a terminal. So I had to figure out how to search for a particular name in a file or how to do certain things. And VI was always installed and I knew that that was there. So I kind of used VI at the end of the day. One of the really cool things about SpaceMax also is like the fact that, I mean, if you get really advanced, then you can customize it using Lisp, like the Emacs Lisp. Mm. But if you want to change the packages that are installed that are provided by the SpaceMax core contributors, it's actually really simple just changing a text file 
um, just adding basically a line with your favorite language, and then you get some really sane defaults imported right away. So I started just writing Python on Space Max, but then, you know, as I wanted to write more JavaScript or I needed something for Django or something more specific, you know, you look on the SpaceMax site and if there's a package that's already been contributed that is configured, you can just add that one line and you get a lot of really good defaults. Whereas I think for Sublime, like you have a package manager you can set up, but I feel like you need to do a little bit more digging in order to find the same set of defaults. And so like they've done the curation for you for that initial default. And then you can kind of go from there and customize away to the point where one guy, like the guy who introduced me to it, actually, he had his editor customized to the point where he could actually order a salad using Emacs. (laughs) (laughs) Like he was posting rest calls to a website that would order him a salad for delivery. Oh, that's that's pretty amazing. A one-click button, boom, get me a salad. That's awesome. <laughs> William, what is your preferred editor of choice when working? I prefer Vim personally, but I'm not dogmatic about it. I really like RubyMine. I recently got into that because I was pairing with another developer who was into it. And I, I think it appeals to me for the same reason that Emacs appeals to you, Dave. I really liked the way that everything sort of works out of the box and there are sane defaults and you don't have to do a lot of customization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I'm a 100% convert because it lacks the navigation that Vim has. Like the normal mode in Vim is super powerful. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen another editor that can do that. If Emacs has that with Space Max and Vim mode, that would be really interesting to me. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. But I, I'm kind of curious, like, so as I got kind of more comfortable with having this customization here, and I know that there are better editors for different purposes, like sometimes Sublime Text is great, sometimes RubyMine might be awesome, but like there's got to be someone who made a plugin for RubyMine that has Vim key bindings, right? There is, but it didn't work very well. I tried it. Okay. It left a lot to be desired. I think every editor that I've worked with, including Sublime and Adam, have had a Vim plugin mm-hmm. for key bindings, and it's always left me wanting more. Sublime, like you were saying, though, different editors have different roles, and I think particularly for pairing Sublime and Adam and that family, uh, because there's a whole family of editors that has grown up around the open-sourced Adam core mm-hmm. um, that GitHub released. Uh, you know, I think those are really great, super accessible editors for pairing, particularly with junior developers, because like there's just a huge learning curve that goes into learning a new editor. And so if you can mm-hmm. punt that for a while while you get used to working with a new person, working with a new code base, you get a lot of mileage. And Sublime and Adam are just so intuitive, you know, like if you've ever edited a Word document. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know how to get around and the tree view it looks exactly like your file system yeah i i do like how you're able to search through all the different menus and contexts and functions in sublime and find an option that you might not be sure where it is because like when i pop in and out of sublime i don't often remember where the like function is to correct the indentation or what the keyboard shortcut is I'm just kind of like passing through, but if I can just search for it very quickly, then that's kind of nice. Yeah, the search feature for commands and for files, both are really great. I was really interested when you said that um, 
the primary leader key for Emacs was space. Is that for Emacs in general or specifically for Space Max? So there is a package for Emacs. I think it's called Leader. And that package like basically provides like a tree of commands that is brought up by a leader key. And by default, I don't think that the leader key is space, but the developers who maintain Space Max as like, you know, that kind of glue of like sane defaults. They included leader and they set the default to space, which I think is pretty great because it, your finger's always over the space bar. Absolutely. It, it drives me crazy that the default leader key for Vim is whack because <laughs> whack is all the, I mean, it's like the the hardest key to reach. You have to, you have to hit it with your pinky and it is at the very edge of the keyboard. Mm. That to me seemed like such a backwards choice. Whereas, which, is, which is whack? The backspace or the back, oh. the backslash. Okay, mm. cool. And by contrast, your best finger is your thumb. Like you can thumb through stuff all day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It also baffles me that keyboard designers thought that for some reason the thumb should be relegated to using only a single key. Like what a waste <laughs> of the thumb's potential, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to get one of those like really weird custom spheroid keyboards or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in reality, your your thumbs are the most dexterous fingers you have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can't think of a world where you would type other keys than spacebar with your thumb. But I imagine it is the one that can do the most. Very, very interesting. I think uh, you mentioned RubyMine before. I definitely am a big fan of RubyMine. I just think like when you're working on a project where it works with RubyMine and you have like the test suite running and you can watch the files that you're currently writing tests for and it just runs that one spec, all is good in the world. I find my work cycle to be very effective when I'm using RubyMine. And the whole JetBrains framework like all of their different products are always amazing. The one issue I do have is that it's just a resource hog. And I find my computer slowing down a little bit when I'm using any one of those products, if I'm watching a file and I'm making a change. So if I'm working on a really good machine, then I can definitely invest some money onto the JetBrains platform and, and use that. But I currently use Atom, which is amazing. I just find it to be a lot more snappy. I mean, Sublime is even snappier. But I've just been so used to using Atom and I have all my configurations set up and it's great. I can definitely get the work done a lot more efficient. And to be able to pair with someone in an editor like Atom where they could just sit down and get started. If you invest a lot of time in RubyMine, it is very, very powerful when you learn those key bindings and shortcuts to do all the cool stuff that JetBrains found very difficult. Like even the refactoring, I've seen cases where you could refactor with the right click like oh you've used this variable twice do you want to just change it into yeah sure make the change click boom but uh it can definitely use a lot of resources which at the end of the day i don't want my computer to slow down if i'm getting some work done have um, you tried visual studio yeah, i think i've only used visual studio in college yeah so the latest version of visual so i'm full disclaimer not super keen on windows products usually but mm -hmm. a friend of mine showed me Visual Studio, like the most recent version, and it's based off of Atom. Like they used Atom as a core, huh. and then they built an IDE on top of it. So Wait, it's got a debugger. This is the Microsoft editor that looks like Atom. Why yeah. am I thinking of like .NET? 
Well, what I was referring to was a completely different programming language. I think it was Visual Studio, and it had like the whole suite with different languages that Microsoft yeah. provides. Like I, I think that they but use it, they reuse the same name. Oh yeah, with, all right. Like, so I'm not crazy. Product. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not crazy. Cool. I learned. Yeah. I learned something. Okay, they use the same <laughs> name, and it's called Visual Studio. Continue. Yeah, well, so it has all the same key bindings as Atom, so it's very easy to pick up, and huh. it's a full IDE. So it has a debugger built in, it's got refactoring tools, it's much like the JetBrains series, except that you don't have to learn all of the jetbrains ways of doing things. Oh, wow. So it's like a combination of JetBrains and Atom. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty interesting. That's I pretty definitely cool. have to check that out. Yeah, uh, it's kind of neat how like Microsoft has been kind of leaning more towards open source. Yeah, they're the getting past hip. Couple of years, like, <laughs> yeah, right? Being hip. Yeah. Like I, I remember seeing last year that you can now take Windows 10 and run not a Linux virtual machine in it, but actually install the Linux kernel alongside your Windows and run things on the terminal, like run shell scripts and things like that, just on. Windows and I think even use it, use the package manager and things like that, and it'll just run natively, which I haven't tried yet, but it's kind of compelling that I could do that because basically before this, before they allowed you to run Ubuntu actually natively in the system, you had to rely on emulation with something like Sigwin, which is less than perfect and you know has some limitations. Yeah, yeah I think I've digressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think just like a variety of different editors out there that people like to use. Personally, at the end of the day, if I'm pairing with someone, I kind of choose whatever editor they prefer. So I get a chance to learn a new editor, whatever possible. So I'm hoping that in the near future, the next person I get to pair with is a SpaceMax user so I can learn some SpaceMax. It's <laughs> um, like one of the issues about pairing those, like obviously you have to take some time and learning it an editor. So that's where you like have to take, you know, your commute time home to pick up a new editor and find some shortcuts to and from work so that when you get to work, you're more ready to develop in this new editor. I think using different editors is definitely like a cool way to be able to adapt to another person's thought process and being able to work with another person just because they work in a different editor shouldn't limit any of us from getting work done with said person. Yeah, I think also every time I've paired with somebody on a different editor than I'm used to, I've acquired a new hotkey or shortcut or cool feature. Usually with Vim, there's a plugin for it, whatever the feature is that you're trying to steal. And so once you know what to Google, once you know the name of the feature, you can figure out how to work it into your setup. Yeah. I think that's true for probably most well-established editors. I think uh, the one that I look for often in Vim is Fuzzy Finder. Like, that's the one thing I know. Like, in Atom, that's what that little search bar is called. So you try to find the Fuzzy Finder Vim plugin. Do you guys use uh, any predefined plugins in Vim? I was introduced to Pivotal plugin for Vim, and that seems to do all my Vim things. I find, like, I could just use Vanilla Vim, but someone suggested trying to use the Pivotal Labs configuration. And that's been helpful too, I find that. I don't know if anyone uses, do you hmm. sit down and spend an hour just downloading packages or is that something you just download one thing and you find them as you go? I think I've just kind of found things as I had a need for it. One thing that I recently uh, ended up installing was a plugin for my editor to use Python virtual environments, which was really helpful when I was trying to debug an issue with a library 
And I wanted to like dive into the definition of a method that was in that library. So the editor is able to like trace to the definition of the method. And by having that virtual environment active in the editor itself, then I was able to like dive into the library code. I got my Vim config from a friend and worked off of his for a long time, which is kind of the same as getting a config file from Pivotal Labs or from some other more organized group that is advertising. Then slowly over time, I customized things or broke things and then <laughs> fixed it in a different way than it was before. Mm. So now it's kind of turning into its own thing, but I'm all for standardizing around like a particular Vim config. I think there's a team at Stride that has standardized around one particular Vim config. I think this came up in an earlier episode. Maybe. I think the one that I use, the Pivotal Apps one, is the one that a lot of our consultants have been using. And I think it's just because it's easy to pick up. It has a lot of the features that a person would want to have in their Vim config, and then they use that. I'm kind of curious. Like, I think this might be a topic for another day, but like, how do you guys save your configurations. And I know some people have dot files, GitHub repos, and I think that might be interesting to talk about. Yeah, dot files, that's the way to go, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm a convert. Uh, Adam, you can use the gist. And I have the gist, a private gist that I can refer to so that it's not public because I imagine someone can hack the configuration so that if I load up the uh, Adam with the configuration with that hash, it'll pretty much download all these packages. So I keep it private for myself. Cool. So we got a lot of information on different editors. I hope developers out there heard the editors that they use and maybe uh, are interested in the other editors that we spoke about. Me personally, I'm going to try and look into SpaceMax or look into Emacs and then SpaceMax so that I can be a potential convert from a basic Vim user to a SpaceMax specialist. Do we have any teaching learns today that we can discuss? So I have an in-progress learn. So I found out recently that you can put regex into your VCR cassettes. So VCR is a library that allows you to record web requests for purposes of testing in mm -hmm. Ruby. So the idea is that when you're running a test suite, you may not want to hit an external API because it's slow or because you have a rate limit. And so that's, that would be an encumbrance for your test suite. Right. And so... What you can do with VCR is it will automatically record any web requests that you make while you're running your test suite. And then anytime you rerun the test, it will hit the recorded version of the web request rather than hitting the external API. Mm, okay. So it saves those recordings in YAML files in a folder called VCR in your spec directory. And you can actually edit those YAML files which you know I had never really bothered to do because I thought this is a data file. Yeah. This isn't the sort of thing that you want to muck around with. If you muck around with it, then you'll have less confidence that it accurately represents the web request or the web response that that API is going to return in real life. Right. Which mm -hmm. would make your test less reliable. But it turns out they actually have a feature where you can modify the response in that YAML file in order to make your test more flexible. So, for example, if you have a web request that requires you pass an ID to an API and you aren't sure what that ID is going to be when you run your test suite because the tests might run in a different order and so your mm. database might have filled up with user objects or whatever in a mm. different order, you can use regex to make it ignore the ID within the URL oh, that okay. you're matching on. 
And so anyway, I started working on it, trying to use this to make my test suite more flexible and actually haven't finished getting it to work. So it might be a little bit premature to call this a learn, but uh, it's a learn in progress. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds pretty awesome. Cool. I actually have a uh, learn in progress as well. I think the teach and learn in progress, I think we'll call it that. Um, At the client that I'm in right now, we have a release that's coming out soon and we're using Git tags to kind of tag the current release branch that we're about to do. And I don't think I've ever been responsible for tagging a particular branch. So we were going over that today. I wasn't exactly sure on what the tagging feature does to your repository, but that's a thing that we did today. So I was kind of learning on that. I think the tag basically just pushes a reference, a named reference into the repo. So it's kind of like a detached reference, pretty similar to how a branch is, but oh. it's just not a branch. It's just a pointer to a SHA with some additional metadata, like where you can add the name of the tag and different things like that. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Like, I guess there's a lot of different ways that you could use a tag. You, know, you can use a tag when you made a particular release and, okay, this is version one. Yeah. This is version 1.1, um, which a lot of people don't really spend time doing, but sometimes it's pretty important. Like if you're having like an API release, then it's definitely more important because then you can just check out that tag and look at the code as it was at that time. Yeah, I know in um, GitHub, you can assign milestones that can Mm. point to a particular tag. And that way I think like all the commit names and the the title of the commits will then be a part of this tag as well. So you can like document all of that too. So I know that's something that the front end lead has been very militant about, hey, make sure you put all your stories in those specific releases so that we can document all this um, work that we've been doing, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of nice to be able to go back and like have a history of it. Cool, I'd like to thank the panelists who are here today. Thank you guys for coming out and talking about editors. And thank you for listening to The Rabbit Hole. We'll see you next time.